Good evening and welcome to the Recollective Podcast. My name is Charlie Beale and tonight I'm joined by the awesome duo of Tom Goodfellow and James Bell. Good evening. Good evening, flame retardants. <laughs> the last Greetings. time we had us three together was for builders and drivers. And boy, did we learn about builders and boy, drivers. Boy, did we build and drive and have some interesting debates about what was a builder and driver, I seem to remember. Yeah, in many ways, they don't belong together, builders and drivers. But um, I learned an interesting thing. Nothing to do with the Builders and Drivers episode. I learned an interesting thing from the country music episode. Oh, yeah. In which you played the Wichita line man. And I was like, ah, there's a there's a little bit that goes da 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 which I couldn't. And then I realized it's from Starman by David Bowie. Of course it is. I could have sorted that one out for you. Yeah, exactly. But I do think it sounds like a lot of other things as well. It's got that uncanny... Yeah, there are so many resonances, but Starman being one. Yes. Uh, are you both well? Yeah, physically. Less so mentally. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, tired? Cold. Not, not right now, but that's, you know, I'm fine. Yes, it's all good. That's that's the, the mood of the UK at the moment. A bit tired, a bit cold, but let's all luxuriate in the warm sounds of the six-stringed beast that is the guitar. We've done Drum Heroes, and now is the time that we dedicate to... What do you think? Uh, is this about great guitarists, great guitar parts, great guitar recordings? Tom, the floor is yours. What do you think this episode's about? I hadn't really thought about that. <laughs> um, well, like many, I think it's open to different interpretations. Um, it's simply called guitar. We, we, I think we call the topic guitar heroes. So there's an emphasis on guitar players, I would say, as well as what they're playing. So I don't think we're going to be playing music where there's like, oh, that's a nice bit of guitar. I wonder who did that. Must have been a very good guitarist. It's more like we, we have particular guitarists in mind that we are perhaps uh, going to discuss and that we might have sought out particular little nuggets by those guitarists. So obviously this is close to my heart being a guitarist. I'm very excited. I think I've chosen some on the basis of the song as well uh, and others on the basis of just a few moments of guitar work. Uh, yeah, so I think we'll have a whole range of different manifestations of guitar greatness. We're actually now approaching episode 30, so we've we've burned through quite a few of our favourite songs. So I think mm. some of the ones we've mm. picked in previous episodes probably might have made this had we done this in the first four or five. But um, I, I certainly um, certainly thought about it through the lens of particular individuals. Um, and I think even in the case of one of my choices, it's not it's you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily think, oh, that's a guitar song. But the the line mm. is just so uh uh, reminiscent of a particular player that I included it. Yeah. I have chosen some songs based on, uh, well, trying to steer clear of the, the, uh, the artists that I've sort of velvet gold mined to death. Uh, and maybe not even my favorite guitarist, actually just what I think might be a bit more interesting. Cause I know good sort of picked up on all the, uh, all the guitarists I need to hear and talk about. So I've gone for some slightly left field ones and some ones that are more about texture rather than uh, sort of virtuoso playing. 
So is now the time that we should talk about who we didn't put in? Well, I don't know, because then that's going to give some stuff away, isn't it? Like, I, I, I think there's still some surprises, for me at least, um, in the lineup. So perhaps we should talk about that later. Because I'm a bit worried that there are people who I will, I will regret not being in and feel almost guilty, like I owe it to them. Because uh, it's so hard. I wouldn't fret about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, I'll I'll try to think of a pun to come back with on that later. But um, yeah, there's some of my most famous. I mean, sorry, some of my most celebrated, most loved guitarists aren't in my list of four because you know I only had four. But um, I also that was, very, that was very generous of you, by the way. Could have uh, more. Oh, well, fine. No, no, no. I mean, just because I play guitar doesn't mean I'm the only person who can appreciate some guitar guitaring and. Um, yeah, I, I chose a couple of them, or one of them maybe, or I can't remember. Like some of them also on the basis of just the recording of the guitar, the production, the kind of, mm. uh, uh, not necessarily their best work or their best moments. Anyway, we'll discuss all these things and more, but certainly within the things I'm playing are some of my, you know, the bits of recorded rock music that just make me um, just die with kind of amazement and awe and pleasure. Well, I will give you a clue as to one that didn't make my list because I don't think either of you have chosen... Steve Stevens, who might have been one of my choices. <laughs> he is Billy Idol's guitarist. Uh, I toyed with playing Dirty Diana by Michael Jackson. Does he play on that? Yeah. The, I thought He's that the, was Van Halen. Oh, but... I thought it was Slash. No, I'm thinking of um, the one after that. But it didn't make my choice because I think it's a brilliant guitar pop. I didn't make my, my choice because it's just too hair metal in the sound of the guitar. Um, hmm. And that's it. Oh, I was going to choose one that I then culled because I was going in a certain vein, and then I thought it might be a bit of an insult to the idea of the uh, of the uh, fretboard frotter. Uh, so I did. I took it out, but it was um, Daft Punk um, aerodynamic. It was a very similar oh, guitar yeah, sort of yeah, sound yeah. to. And on, yeah, and Van Haleny. Sonically, I also left out ACDC Thunderstruck, which has a riff very similar. There. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but Tom, no, why don't you kick us off with our first choice? Okay, so this is a very different kind of sound we're, we're going for here. Um, yeah, okay, so what can I say about this song? I mean, this to me is just a work of great genius in terms of the just the, the simple guitar line, the song... And then, you know, it get. I mean, one of the most amazing intros to any song ever recorded. And if that's not good enough, you get to this point, I think it starts around two minutes, 18. <laughs> There's a point from about two minutes, 18 till about three minutes, 10, which I just think is the most amazing segment of kind of rock music recorded, or certainly one of them. And at the end of it, I literally have to kind of recover every time I hear it. And it's partly about the guitar, not entirely. Uh, and I also get two guitar heroes out of this song. So let's, let's hear it. Oh, 
listen to all of it, great though it is. Um, but we had to listen to it at least there. So, yeah, I mean, I just find that that guitar solo by Mick Taylor, of course, is the other great guitarist in here along with Keith, just so understatedly just amazing. And then, and then just as it's coming to an end, you get Mary Clayton, who does the BBs, coming in with this incredible vocal that cracks not once but twice. And uh, apparently, you know, Mick was there in the studio and her voice cracked on that note. And um, someone said something, but then they're like, keep it in, keep it in. You know, there's a whole story about her voice cracking, but it's just so powerful. You can, you can hear them, yeah. You can hear them going, woo, woo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. It's amazing. So, I mean, like, there are many other songs I could have chosen of Keith, but in the end, we haven't actually had much Stones on the podcast. It's got to be from a, uh, the Mick Taylor era, though, doesn't it? It does. So other ones I might have chosen for guitar would have been Can You Hear Me Knocking, which has also got this amazing, just kind of like, Keith just going... Uh, and I love that lick at the end of um, Tumbling Dice as well. Mm. Honky Tonk Women is really sparse mm. and funky as well. Amazing, amazing. Um, or what's the other one I was thinking of from the, the Taylor years? Oh, also uh, good. Some, something a little earlier on. Didn't we once have a thing about the forgotten mix of rock? Mm, we did. Mick Ronson, Mick Taylor. There might have been yeah. another Mick. But Mick Taylor doesn't get the credit he deserves, does he? No, I think he's starting to get it more belatedly. Um, the Stones are always banging on about how he was like... <laughs> Ronnie Wood must be quite pissed off because they're always talking about how he was the greatest that they had. <laughs> um yeah, anyway, I don't know. Does anyone have anything they want to say? I, I just, you know, don't think I can say much more on it, really. Yeah, I don't think um, I don't think Keith ever meshed quite as beautifully or in such a complex and balletic way with any other other guitarist. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's nice sort of feel with uh, with Ron Wood and stuff, but it's not sort of beautiful interplay like that. I love no. that, the interplay with those two. What he calls the ancient art of weaving. And you can hear that mm. like mostly in, I think, in the more bluesy numbers where just, you know, Keith is like, just like before the beat and then Ronnie Wood's just like a bit lazy on the snare and then they've got the other one coming and it's just this, they do, I've never, there's no other band can do it in quite the same way. Charlie Watts, mate, Charlie Watts. Sorry, Charlie Watts, because we're talking about Charlie Watts. I love Charlie Watts as a drummer, actually. The drum anyway. sound on that track is incredible. Yeah, and on loads of them, just that little shuffle, and he's just that little bit slow on the beat. Um, but I mean, Keith as well. Yeah, I mean, just uh, he, he played all those riffs with an open tuning. So I learned the tuning when I. It's actually funny. Two of the rock biographies I've read in recent years that stayed with me were Keith Richards' life and then Anthony Kiedis. Um, and I think, uh, yeah. Anyway, certainly in Keith's one, a, he provides the alternate tuning, so I, so I used it. And like, you can just play any of the songs. You can't have to do anything. It's just so simple. But um, yeah, just amazing. And of course, we covered that song. Do you think we did it justice? Gosh, so we did. I don't have a lot of memory of that because we we started with Brown Sugar, right? Because we wanted uh, we brought in yeah. But that was, this was your this was your favourite, and I remember you playing the intro. As you were all about the intro, yeah, and it is incredible. I don't I don't um, know if we I did it well. Or not. We can't have done it justice. <laughs> I think <laughs> apart from anything else, well, maybe you you could pull off that backing vocal. Yeah, did you do the backing vocal? Did you do the Mary Clayton? Yeah, gym? except I, I probably didn't crack. <laughs> <laughs> 
great. No, um, I remember being hopeless at, at the vocal, and also I think uh, from a rhythm, uh, not a rhythm section, as in I don't want to single Jim and Mick out, but I think as a band rhythmically we weren't quite as relaxed and smooth as the way mm. the Stones played it. We probably played it in a bit of a jerky breakneck type way. Well, I'm sure I couldn't play it like Keith either, and we had the one guitar. Also, I think vocally it's probably not as interesting to do but but anyway uh yeah i think it's good to have some stones i don't know if we've had any we've had one other haven't we painted black but yeah we did paint it yeah. black jim yours is the next choice and it's from another a band in the dad rock canon mm-hmm. yeah yeah so this is a will be familiar to beard botherers of a certain ilk um he's not one of my favorite guitarists but i think this song is very beautiful um, you're going to get the feeling I'm a man who's been trapped indoors for quite a period of time and has become somewhat maudlin, but my more raucous choices uh, were yeah, too obvious. So uh, this is Fleetwood Mac, but maybe not as you know them. It's pre-Buckingham Knicks. Is it Peter, Peter Green era? Yeah. I had this on a cassette from uh, BP Garage that you saved up points with petrol, and this blew me away. I remember thinking, wow. Shall I tell you about my life? They say I'm a man of the world. I've flown across every time. I've seen lots of Yes, I've got everything I need. I wouldn't ask more. And there's no one I'd rather be. Life is the worst I've ever
That's quite delicious. That's beautiful. I've never never heard it. So this was on 60s Mania 2, uh, <laughs> which, which you could get with 60 BP points, uh, and accompanied me on my Walkman all the way to France, along with a certain Mr. Bowie. But I just think it, it all it delivers everything in its own time, doesn't it? It's very... Uh, there are some, so there are some people who listen to not this podcast but other podcasts who won't know what a compilation record was um, <laughs> or is. Oh my god! Or an album. <laughs> <laughs> um, they, they were curious things. A good compilation was quite good value for money when you got one, though, because it meant like because it was quite expensive as a kid to buy an album, and particularly in the age when they were front loaded with two good songs and the rest rubbish, a compilation could do the trick. Songs for our um, younger listeners are like ringtones, but with maybe more notes. Yeah, (laughs) slightly longer than a tweet. Um, It's those things that people dance to on TikTok. I can't (laughs) believe you think that ringtones and tweets are signs of what young people like. <laughs> We're like literally ten years out of date. Um, so anyway, let's talk about a meaningful piece of art. Uh, um, I like this one because uh, he's the singer and the guitarist, Peter Green, and he didn't weather the storm very well. He sort of uh, didn't. He'd done too many drugs, and he did a sort of Sid Barrett, but maybe not as permanently. I think. He was back again relatively recently. I think he has he died now. I think he, he has. died last year. I think he died. Yeah, yeah. recently. Um, Interesting. So, why is the band is the band called Fleetwood Mac because of Mick Fleetwood and John McVie? Would, did they precede Peter Green? Because I thought Peter Green was a founder member, and why didn't he put his own name in? Well, Good I think point. he was a bit like that, wasn't he? He was not necessarily in it for the glory. Um, I think he said he liked the sound of their names, and they were sort of. Uh, the bedrock of it, but it's, it doesn't sound like those other kind of, um, you know, uh, Alexis Corner and kind of blues breakers and stuff. There's a bit, it's a bit more depth to it than they're not just trying to show their chops playing the blues. There's that overdriven bit, and there's the, that's more like the blues. But then there's um, this kind of really clean, picky guitar sound, very, very Tom. Uh, just the two guitars independently, probably both played by him, but just doing what they're doing. Just filling in, painting a bit, and then there's the um, that plate echo bit. I don't know what that is, but it just goes amazing. And then just everything. I, I need explodes. to give it another another listen, but it seemed to me as if it's sort of transitioned between an acoustic guitar to an electric mm. guitar. Some some point during the song, it's like Bob Dylan's whole career in one song. It was really, but it is amazing the dynamics within that song sonically for yeah. its time. When was it recorded? A very nice ensemble piece. Yeah. Yeah, 69. Was Christine McVie in the band at that point, or did she shack up with John McVie only later? I think they didn't let her. They, oh, she played, she did some, <laughs> did she do some, she did some backing vocals for them, did she? Some tambourine, she, she did and then they realised she was a kick-ass songwriter about 10 yeah. years later. Um, yeah, it's great. I've, I've been meaning to, dis- actually the other day I was thinking I need to discover early Fleetwood Max. I'm totally clueless about it, but um, that was a beautiful choice. And there's there's another person called Danny Kerwin who's also qu- quoted as being in this era's era of uh, Fleetwood Mac. So I don't know how much Danny had to do with that playing, but either Danny oh, or Peter was all over that. Done real nice picking in it. Very nice, very nice. A nice and some weaving going on there. Yeah, it's good. I'm going to jump ahead seven years to 1976 when um, this song was recorded. 
It was then released the year after in 1977. And um, it was an early hit for Mr. Tom Petty. Hey! And um, I don't think it's brilliant in the verses or even the choruses, but its intro and its kind of middle eight bit are very special. And I think we kind of referenced it in um, a previous episode on... 97, 98, around that time. Oh, um, yeah. But I love the screechy little intro here, <clears throat> and it's a great guitar sound. they could do more of these long lingering holes of like the verse chords i think they could probably be brought up in the mix or been made slightly warmer they're quite clean it's not far away from television which we were playing the other day Supermodel on my dick. At the time, I didn't even know it was a sample. Best guitar solo. Well, some of the best guitar solos are one or two notes. It's pretty good. Oh, yeah, there we go. It's got a bit of Leonard Skinner. 
Sultans of Swing. That was on my long list. <laughs> <laughs> it is it is very good, isn't it? Sultans of Swing. It's amazing. Um, Mark Knopfler's amazing. I was secretly hoping one of you would have chosen Mark Knopfler. How middle-aged can we get? Well, uh, it was pure, I mean, like, I, I like to think I don't have an ego about music anymore, but I, I didn't choose it purely on the basis that it was like the kind of one thing you would get on a dad's driving rock CD for yeah, your car. Come on, Tom Petty, uh, Fleetwood Mac. I think we're, we're in that territory. We're in that territory. Uh, I'm proud of it. Yeah, that's great. We just great. needed one more for Jeremy Clarkson to get in touch. We couldn't provide it. I don't know who God, don't, I don't know who um produced that, but Tom Petty, he you know he had the most amazing kind of pop production, didn't he? Like radio friendly. It's like that's like the definition, and obviously his latest stuff. Um, Make it last all night. Yeah, and I think actually if he'd been a band, if it hadn't all been about if you know he's a singer and a songwriter and and, and plays a guitar, but um if there had been a band with a guitarist in with any ego at all, they would have cranked that guitar up in the verses and made it a bit more of a feature it. But it's, it works obviously perfectly as it is. It's an understated little clang. Well, I watched, I watched a documentary on him and he's very uh, ego-free, apart from he's just quite stubborn and he wants everything oh, in yeah. his own way, which is why that song, um, uh, I Won't Back Down, oh, that, that's one of my favourites. But apparently that. that was, the, that album, the production on that album, you will have heard this, Charlie, because I think it was on the... Um, you know the push broken record. Whatever Who's it's that? Uh, the, the 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 podcast. Who's the guy who does? Um, oh, Rick Rubin. <laughs> he may be. <laughs> he may be back. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, him. But um, yeah, apparently on that record, the boat won't back down. Record they recorded every drum sep- like every drum separately. And that was like, probably before every beat snare, yeah. Every hit, yeah. But on that one, you can just like you know when you go into producers, and they're like, if you want a pop hit, you've got to have loud snare, loud vocals, and everything else down. Like that song kind of epitomizes that um, in a good way. So uh, here's a pop fact: um, it's built on a repeating jangling guitar riff based on a Bo Diddley beat, and ah. it's Bo Diddley um, guitar track is not going to be the only one of my choices that inspires. Sorry, I've got the grammar wrong on that. Um, <laughs> Another one of my choices was also inspired by a Bo Diddley beat. Good. This is the kind of thing you learn in old age. Like I wouldn't have even known if anything I listened to was inspired by Bo Diddley, but that's probably because I was listening to bands that were inspired by the bands that were inspired by Bo Diddley. So this is why you know. I just had a horrible thought. Are we going to choose everyone who's been inspired by the blues and nobody who played the blues or who originated yes. the blues? <laughs> this is not our fault, listeners. Uh, it's our well, generation. Well, we, we can do a blues episode, and then you know I yeah. don't think any of us can claim to be massive blues aficionados. I, mean, I, I don't am, know. I you may have become one. Blues artists, but not guitarists so much. Uh, like Little Richard, Little Richard, and um, uh, Eddie Cochran and stuff. But I mean, I have, I, I've, I've mooted. A, we've, we've discussed doing a blues episode when we talked about country. So I do think we should. But you're right. It's a, you know, the rock and roll is inspired by the blues. But I think we have to be clear about what we're doing, which is being a bit um, honest about oh, the yes. stuff. Yeah, hmm. you know, like there's no women, you know, there are, you know, this, it's not like we're not kind of, we're just talking about the guitarists that got us going in our lives in reality. And the fact is, you know, the stuff that you hear isn't always original, but you don't know it at the time. <laughs> yeah. In fact, you might even cover the fun-loving criminals thinking it's a brilliant original song. 
You might, just you two might decades later that. find out it was written by Tom Petty and it didn't have the line supermodels yeah. on my D in it. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, it's back to you. Uh, this is going to be... Okay. Well, I think you spoiled this in a previous episode, so... I did actually, and then I almost didn't put it on my list, and then I listened to it again, and I was like, "Yes." Thank I shall. God you did, because I would have been really annoyed if you hadn't. Actually, I've been jumping you know to that. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to choose it. Oh, okay. So it, yeah, I mean, three people, one band, all incredible. We've played them possibly more than a certain band involving John Lennon by this point. Um, this song. I listened to it again the other day, and by the end of it, I was like, that song, within its length, does everything I've ever tried to do on guitar in one song. Because, you know, the verse is incredible, doing the stuff that this guitarist, let's just name him, Andy Summers, does so well. The chorus is just a dead simple offbeat uh, chords, you know, uh, 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 the reggae, scar, sharp little chords. But then the other side, Got to listen to the panning, and I chose some of these songs based on stereo guitars. So there's some, this other little thing going on in the other ear, which is amazing. And then there's a solo that does something totally different, and then he goes and does something totally different. And at the end, it's just like, wow. Um, let's hear it. Oh, and the eye of the tiger beginning. <laughs>
I said about solos on one note. <laughs> But so, I mean, it's, you know, at some point I was like, do I want to play another song by The Police? Because there's so many amazing bits of guitar. And even stuff like Every Breath You Take and Walking, I mean, um, Every Breath You Take and uh, Message in a Bottle, you know, if you've tried to play them, they're not only really hard to play, like really tiring stretches, but you're just like, how, why, how did you come up with that chord? Like, why did you even think of doing it like that? You know, just the originality. I don't know where he got all those ideas from really apart from the you know the, the kind of reggae influence well it would be interesting to hear the original demos or whatever sting did uh to see what what was in there in terms of guitar parts um and also i was thinking in the choruses it would be not to deflect from the guitarist but um sting's doing a, or somebody's doing a, a vocal an octave down and it does not sound like primetime sting i would love to hear the you know great albums with that just pushed up on its own and like, uh, bring on a night. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't noticed that, no. But, but yeah, that, I mean, it's got that track on its own. I somehow heard it for the first time in this listen, that that, that octave below. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, I, I heard other things. I mean, I, you know, I'd never heard all those other little bits of guitar until I was listening back to it with that. I just knew the, the, the verse part was great with the little... Yeah. And, um, but then in the chorus, like, the, the, you know, there's a one guitar just doing that little... on top of the normal stabs. And then you've got that little... Yeah, you might need to play it on an acoustic. <laughs> or plug it in. Uh, <laughs> But anyway, um, a lot of them do seem to kind of like uh, they're, they're, they're sort of double tracks and they seem to sort of set up a little echo or a kind of chorusy type thing. Yeah. And just that little slightly frantic, like one note kind of. So I heard a story. I, I don't know if it's about this one or it might be one on Zenyatta Mandata, but um, apparently he was, this was sort of not his bag. He, he liked doing the beautiful melodic stuff, but he didn't really like doing the, didn't really see the point in doing the sort of crazy schizoid weird stuff. So they, they sort of asked him to do it. But then I, that, that, that does sound like Sting trying to claim credit for a, a guitar part. Well, we probably better move on, right? We're kind of... Should yeah, we... it's, uh, it's your choice, Jim. Can you do it? Yeah, so what am I on now? Oh, yeah, okay. So, um, God, these are the choices of a man trapped in his own house for several months, aren't they? Um, 
Yeah, so I do actually like upbeat songs, honest. Uh, otherwise, Charlie wouldn't have got me on the uh, Get the Floor Filled episode. Yes, but, it's um, ironic that our first choice uh, for the evening was Gimme Shelter. Um, <laughs> storm is raging. All, all I've got. <laughs> Although, it has been nice to get some snow. Um, so, uh, I would have liked to have played, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, uh, one of the Forgotten Mix. Uh, Go on. Yeah, the other one. Um, and that is probably my favourite guitar solo in the world. Um, oh, yeah. But that, that had been already, as we said, uh, Velvet Goldmine to death. So um, I'm going for another one that's probably uh, influenced by it. But I actually think this is an absolutely phenomenal guitar solo in itself. Um, definitely my favourite of this entire band's work and the solo artist's work, and I like both. Uh, so we, we can chat over the beginning of it actually because it's lovely but I think a lot of people know it and it doesn't really get kicking until about two minutes in. Ooh. Oh, thank God you played some of this. <laughs> I'm relieved someone's playing Coxon. <laughs> and a good choice. Yeah, I was going to say, let's talk over the solo, no, talk no, over the chorus. Yeah. You can talk over the chorus, you can't talk over the little harmonic guitar yeah. part in the verses, it's beautiful. And you can't talk over this bit. <laughs> Sorry. 
Well, this bit you can, but not this bit. Here we go. Is I feel like it's kind of improvised, or it's kind of something that just, he would have just done at some point, and they'd be like, "Yeah, that works." Yeah, I think a lot of this is, and um, a lot of his parts are beautiful. Um, he does that thing, like later on, he does these kind of um, slow arpeggiated things that, are like, sort of petals coming into blossom. Uh, but he's already got that here, and it's like. Um, in the, in the solo, it's like a sort of creaking, breathing hull of a boat. It's just... It's amazing. Huge. It's, it's kind of like the opposite kind of solo to what I'm going to play later on. It's brilliant. Like, he's the master of the atonal solo. He does a great one in Coffee and TV as well, in a different way, because that one's double-tracked and also creaking and atonal, this one, I mean. Mm. Um, and it fits the song somehow perfectly. Yeah, I bet. So I'm going to take this opportunity to offer up a palate cleanser. And um, I don't think there's any doubt that the next guitarist I'm going to feature is probably one that we all love, but probably doesn't fit the kind of rock genre that the rest of the episode has taken. Um, because this gentleman played a 1960 Fender Stratocaster, which he nicknamed the Hitmaker. Uh, and the hitmaker was on everything from Bowie's Let's Dance to Madonna to Chic to ah. Sister Sledge to uh, Daft Punk. Um, and I'm going to play a little bit of We Are Family because this is <laughs> Nile Rogers playing his guitar in a, a chop chord style, which he called chucking, uh, which I think you're actually quite good at doing, Goodies. So I kind of put it in there. Um, in slight reminiscence of um, of the way you, you, you're able to do it. So I do contend that you're able to play the guitar in other ways apart from the way that Andy Summers does. Did he basically invent chucking? I don't know if he invented no. it, but he's most famous. Apparently, uh, Bernard Edwards was instrumental in sort of teaching him to play that way as well, or they, they came up with it sort of together, I think. Cool. Yes, well, I mean, they were a writing duo, weren't they? It's not as if he nicked it from some blues ancestor and didn't give him any credit. Hmm. 
Um, I've, I've, put, I've got what I needed out of this song. <laughs> oh. I mean, we, we don't have to listen to the whole of We Are Family. It's, it's there as a palate cleanser bit let's because I wanted to, to speak. Let's listen to a verse because we probably don't normally listen to the guitars closely, right? Because we're on here. here. <laughs> Bernard. Oh, there are some. Oh, no, that's a piano. There's nothing. All of the people around us, they say, can they be that close? Just let me stay for the record. Oh, that's a great line. We're giving love in a family dog. We are family. Anyway, that line, if you listen carefully, it's she's clearly saying, just let me staple the vicar. Just let me staple the vicar. And that's all I can um, hear now. I always but... thought, um, I want my love and a femidon. <laughs> yeah, my love and a femidon. <laughs> it's full um, of great misheard lines. If you listen to um, I'm in the mood for dancing, there's a bit in the uh, second of the chorus where it says, you know I shat out a storm tonight. <laughs> That's good. Uh, good, I'm glad you did know Rogers. I mean, the thing is as well, like, what amazing stuff he did for David Bowie. I mean, I know we're all deeply aware of this, but, you know, I mean, he talks it up quite a lot, doesn't he, Nile Rogers, when you hear him. I'm sure he's right, but he'll be like, David came with me with this, like, song, you know, and it was just like, he plays China Girl, or, well, that's an Iggy Pop song anyway, isn't it? But anyway, he made those songs, like, particularly, like, Let's Dance, I guess. Yeah. It's something that they just would not have been. I didn't want to go too too much back into the David Bowie thing. I, was, I, was, I had Let's Dance on my list, and then I also thought about Modern Love. And then I realised uh, Modern Love's got that great dunk, 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 dunk um, guitar yeah, intro. intro. But then you don't get much guitar in the verses or verses no. or piano. So um, yeah. I don't know what Niall is <laughs> doing then. Sister Sledge and the Chic stuff is probably the, bit, the best stuff to choose. Is there? Is but also there the diner, in... also just I'm coming out. Like, that oh, is amazing. Yeah. Upside yeah. down. Yeah. Which is the one where he slides up the fretboard? Is that a, a Diana, Diana Ross or is it he's the greatest dancer or something? I don't know. But the really impressive one is the chic itself, isn't it? But also the Sister Sledge stuff, you know, Lost in Music as well. And the song that became Rapper's Delight, um, what's the original uh, chic? That was then copied by Queen. Oh yeah, diddlint. Didn't you play some Nile Rogers on your dance floor fillers? Oh, without a doubt. Okay. So Sister Sledge are like getting up there with the police and John Lennon now. Okay, so that was meant to be a palate cleanser, but before we get too navel gazy and rock, and genuinely. Brilliant guitarist, Nile Rodgers. Tom, why don't you take us to the next choice? Okay, so this is interesting. So now we're leaping forward a lot in time. Um, okay, so this is a, a guitarist that we all probably would have had on our shortlist. And um, I'm sure we all massively agree is, is an amazing guitarist. This is possibly a controversial choice. Charlie seemed to think so. But I thought about... Very controversial. Play. I know deeply, the guitarist. and Deeply I think, controversial. Yeah. Mm. 
Okay, well, we can talk about that later. So anyway, the, <laughs> I don't think it's that controversial. I was listening to it and I was like, this rocks, we should play this song. Um, and I listened back to some of the earlier era songs that we could have played. And I thought, actually, no, the reason I want to play this. So the first couple of minutes, we can talk over them a bit. Although there's a few things I want to point out. But then just the way, just the perfect realization of what he wants to do on the guitar here and what the producer probably wants to do and how they did it together. Um, yeah, just someone at the height of their powers, really. Uh, Chesney Hawks? In a particular way. Chesney Hawks. Come on, put them on. <laughs> oh, come on. How contentious. Ask Charlie. Because it sounds like Country House for the first minute. <laughs> I don't know. Rip, dip, 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 And he's basically waiting for the bit at the end where he's just going to get his balls out and offer them to you. Because they can do a good middle eight, right? They just not so nice. Yeah, true. Um, nice underwater wibbly wobbly so. Yeah. But listen here in this last verse, the way he does on the other rear, just those little. Chesney Hawks, 
it's our orchestra anywhere. I mean, obviously he's like double tracked or triple tracked or quadruple tracked the guitar solo, but it was like, why not? Like, it sounds amazing. So it's not like Hendrix. By the end, it was just those three playing. It might have had all manner of effects on it, but it was just one guitar, one bass, one drums. Yeah, the maybe. The, 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 yeah, the last bit, maybe, yeah. yeah. So I like two things about that. Um, one, I like pressing your buttons because I think you really stood up for that song. Um, and <laughs> the other thing is I like being proved wrong. I don't know if I've ever actually given it the time to listen towards the end um, because yeah. I think that got quite a lot of radio play. And obviously on radio, that they faded out after three minutes and, and the good bits yet to come then. Um, my favourite bit was the... Was, is it the final chorus where they've got like the harmonics on the guitars? Yeah. Um, and there's and it's, two of them. And it's just sure. like, it's like um, Smashing Pumpkins, but Happy Smashing Pumpkins. And yeah. twice as powerful. Um, and it's so cheesy in one way. Because <laughs> you can get like, you know, you, there's an effect on the zoom pedal where you can get it to play like a third above the note. Whatever. It's like the oldest trick in the book, but it's really good. Like he just does it, you know, it's it sounds, right. you know, these things are cheesy, but it doesn't start Eddie Van Halen still being amazing, even though like, Clearly, we're not going to play him. Um, yeah, it's it's not. I think I've never really bothered really with Anthony Kiedis much. I mean, this is maybe a separate conversation. But if there was no, if Anthony Kiedis was fronting a different band, it might be quite a shit band. But <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> well, wasn't there also that theory we had around um, the Frusciante and non Frusciante Peppers, Chili Peppers records? Yeah, um, like he basically, and it, it, there's a correlation between them being on drugs and having John Frusciante, and the, those two factors are kind of correlative. By the way, have you ever watched the video? That's true. Um, just reminded me to talk about Frusciante. Have you ever watched the video for that song? It's quite amusing. They they basically parody every other famous rock band. Like they they dress up as the Beatles, they dress up as Prince, they dress up as Nirvana, and they just do all this mad shit. It's very silly. Wow. No, I don't think but, I've ever seen it. Yeah, have a look. But yeah, John Frusciante, let's talk about him for a minute. Certainly at least one of us has a personal story. Yeah. So he he um, was trying to find his way out of the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and he... Um, so I think this was his big swan, swan song, Stadium Arcadium, and he was going to do everything that he wanted to do. And I, for one, hoped that the story about him being clean of drugs was true, 
because he'd come very close to death's door, lost all his teeth, he'd had skin grafts, he was not in a good way. And he never expressed any sort of regret about that. He just said that was all part of you know, the life and creative process and, and yeah, we'll do it all again. I was doing some good painting around that time, actually. <laughs> um, so, uh, so, yeah, then I started hearing rumours that maybe he was dabbling a bit. And then uh, my sister went to a uh, festival where people do dabble quite a lot called Bang Face, which <laughs> effectively does what it says on the tin. <laughs> An electro festival in Canberra Sands. It might have been run by All Tomorrow's Parties or something. Anyway, one of those festivals that you young people won't know about. Um, and he was there, and he was in the chalet above them. And, uh, yeah, apparently his acolytes were just sort of young people he'd met that day, and uh, he was feeding them MDMA out of his cupped palmed hand. <laughs> and they were just sort of lining up to receive their benefaction. Well, when and, was uh, it? Oh, Ah, oh, man, like at the time of Stadium Arcadium, because he was sort of um, trying to play his uh, solo album to anyone who'd listen. And it sounds like a bonkers situation. He he was very open by all accounts, and he sort of, you know, the young people suffered to come under him. But um, he sounds a bit crazy. He had a man to boil his Evian water for his pasta. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, he's, I don't know what he, because Dave Navarro, going back to Charlie's point, like Dave Navarro is a great guitarist. He's probably also taken loads of drugs, but somehow it just didn't work as well with the Chili Peppers. I don't think he's as involved in the songwriting. He was messed up when they did that one hot minute as well by, by the sounds of Kiedis' biography. So he didn't really contribute a great deal. Whereas Frusciante was always uh, creatively heavily involved because they met him before they before he did drugs and uh they continued working with him after he did drugs so he was always very much at the heart of it, it. it it's an amazing story about them them and him and how they came together and went apart and then came together again mm. um it's beautiful and then it, it's also indicative of what happens in the life cycle of a band because when he left the second time he's like i'm never never going back to that and they just sort of said yeah like now we're no longer really a relevant recording band so he recommended his little mini me for them uh josh klinghoffer or something and uh, they just said yeah okay so we can talk with this guy is that what's yeah, going on albums but there's no there's no idea that that's what it's about yeah. anymore they were just like okay. I, don't I don't think i've heard a chili peppers album since that album if they've had well it. exactly yeah. right time to move on i'm going to another classic uh, guitarist who we probably all would have chosen. This is a really cool song if you dig into how it was recorded. So it's it's quite a, a smooth set of chords. It's not a, a jangly riff that this guitarist was particularly famous for. Um, it came from a demo called Swamp um, and it was recorded um, in 1984 and uh, reluctantly included by Jeff Travis of Rough Trade Records as a B-side to William, it was really nothing. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> um, yeah, you've used the pedal heavy tremolo um, and then this incredible slide riff, which um, is quite interesting because um, you should listen out for it. The, the, the slide riff... Um, was because I think the producer, I forget who the producer's name was, uh, thought, you know, what would the Beatles oh, do? Street. It, no, no, I don't think he was on this one. Um, uh, I, I haven't written the, the name. Hmm. No. 
but but the, the the point is whoever it was said what would the Beatles do in this case and they would probably put some oohs and ahs on but Morrissey didn't do backing vocals and he didn't like backing mm. vocals to be on songs so they they um Johnny Marr's response was to do this slide guitar almost solo part but as as a as a replacement for potentially some backing vocals it's how soon is now ah oh, yes i hope so In the first, he's literally just playing this F sharp, A, B, F sharp um, set of chords on the tremolo pedal. And I've seen a demo of how it's done, and it's it, you have to kind of play the tremolo pedal in time to the kind of riff to get this effect, otherwise, it sounds really messy. And then the, that's the Bo Diddley bit, exactly. Uh, John Porter is the dude, by the sounds of it. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. What's the, what's the Bo Diddley? Oh, this bit. The whole rhythm of the song. Oh, There's a really interesting um, YouTube video on this, on how it's recorded, and also how both um, Morrissey's band and Johnny Marr, as a solo artist, play this song differently now. So, oh, yeah. Um, you can either play, you can either play the chord straight and let the tremolo do the blah 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 blah, or mm-hmm. you can do, or you can play it the, the Bo Diddley way, the dum ba dum ba dum ba dum dum. And Mars still one. plays it that way, whereas Morrissey gets his guitar to play it just with the tremolo doing the rhythm. Oh, it's, it's I just thought it the other way around. Yeah. Morrissey has much to bring to this song. I think Morrissey's greatest oh, contribution to this song. Lyric. Come on. Well, he, he's got better ones though. It, maybe his greatest contribution was to constrain Johnny Marr into doing certain things by refusing to have. Because this is an incredible. Do you know what's interesting about it? Is I think um, it's the perfect um, the, the, the perfect product of people who don't really meet and play music together. 
because Morrissey's lyric needs to develop on its own. And then Mars music is just a brilliant counterpoint. It's got the Doppler yeah. effects, like cars screaming past. Oh, it's yeah. beautiful. Well, it was jammed. It was jammed by the band, so mm. it, it kind of evolved from the band. But obviously, Morrissey wasn't part of those jams. Um, as I say, from this song called a demo called Swamp, uh, based on this um, uh, uh, several influences that Johnny Marr had. One being Bo Diddley, and this other one. Um, someone called uh, Lovebug Starsky. So I'm going to fade out How Soon Is Now. Mm. Um, and I want you to hear at about the 32nd mark of uh, this song called You Gotta Believe. I had a feeling it might be something electro-y. Can I see this? Hmm. I think it's coming up in about five seconds. You can already see it in a way. Yeah. Yeah. So that riff is um, mm. Johnny Marr deliberately um, acknowledges that it's Lovebug Starsky that he got that riff from because I think he was annoyed with the fact that people were grouping um, the Smiths as a kind of 1960s revivalist band yes, um, interested yeah. in a- any other types of music and, and so it was actually like yeah no we do listen to this other stuff um, especially coming up in Manchester around that time eh? I, can't, I never even thought of them as a 1960s revivalist band but I suppose maybe at the time that's what people thought they were <laughs> I think the idea was that they had said they wanted to be kind of a new Motown you know or a, a, a new kind of key songwriter combo um but the one the one thing that i mean the 80s the 80s production sort of sees to that doesn't it it's particularly good i've learned to say 80s now because of you you bastard yeah we listen to bloody sarah what's the face on the 80s show she bloody calls it 80s and she's she's bloody presenter she's right and i know it now you probably say 80s now don't you But um, we were a bit sacrilegious in in turning off our series now, kind of with two minutes to go. But there's so many different parts. There's it's very long, and there's also just loads and loads of parts that he layers on. Um, It's not just about the main parts that you hear. It's also there's there's occasional hammering on the F chord, and there's um, there's there's doubling up of certain parts. It's just it's a lovely guitar song to listen to, um, and one that we probably don't have time or the sound quality for Alice and Mr. George enjoy but go check it out I would say is if you uh, if you do want to make a song about the guitar then record the rhythm section like a pile of shit and you're good to go <laughs> it's all about the guitar isn't it I mean I guess yeah. that like they even said that they like, said live it should just sound like a, a guitar just a giant how, guitar how, how do they even do that live because he's got like 14 different guitar parts like it's, but no idea Anyway, it's, it's interesting as well because it's like no other Smith song is remotely like it. It's like they did that and they were like, right, I've done that now. I'm just going to go back to playing nice jangly. Well, that's why Jeff Travis put it as a B-side because he was like, this doesn't sound like the Smiths. Yeah. I wasn't surprised when there was some electro influence involved because it, you can't get all that from a sort of non-blues format. It's, it, it's too weird. Yeah. Okay, Jim, take us forward. Um, so this is oh, perfect timing. 
Uh, this is another one about. Uh, well, I'm, I'm not a, a, a virtuoso or even a competent guitarist, so I like guitars when I hear something interesting. I think we talked about Daft Punk aerodynamic. That's that's a sort of an interesting take on a guitar solo. But this, when I heard this, uh, they were already one of my favourite bands. But when I heard this kind of wall of eerie electro guitar sound, it really floated my boat and uh, influenced a lot of demos that I was writing and also made me buy good as a little toy. Ooh. Not a sex toy. An Ebo. Yeah. Which was amazing. An, an ode to Orchestra of Ebo. It's beautiful. I just remember recording a lot of demos off the back of this album in Munich and Charlie saying, listen to any Supergrass recently? Because <laughs> <laughs> it was so blatant. It's like salesman in the department store of your life. Yes, yeah. Oh, that era. Very, very Lennon. The yeah. chord changes in the. layering. 
that's it. Just Amazing. two minutes-ish. And that's what I like about them. Uh, they're an ideas band, and there's a lot of stuff they do that is short or curtailed, and maybe it's not... Mm. If, well, on the first listen, it's not always satisfying either, but there's always something really deep in there. Mick would... Um, he surely, surely does love them, but he would love them. Mm. Yeah. Just, they they get one idea, they take it to an extreme, they maybe don't have anything to say with it. I think there's three lines in that song, but it needed doing. Um, and there's loads of them that they do that like that. Nice little chord changes in there, and they've just made it all about, like, all about the guitar. Like you say, like, let's go for it. Like, the opposite of, like, you know, when we were listening to that Tom Petty song, which is, like, the guitar fits in, in a, in a, it sits in there in a pop song, but it's, like, Mm. This is a pop song. It's about the vocal and the snare and the. Whereas there, it's just like you could hardly even hear the drums at the end. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's all about the like. The drums, the no, the drums this... never really break free. Um, there's a nice little, just a little bit of a sort of. Uh, it's all rim shot and just a driving little ding 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 ding. ding. Uh, a little bit of reminiscence of the police as well. Uh, yeah, when it doubles very, up very on the un- undercut. Yeah. Um, nice when the hi hat doubles up and you're like, oh, something's happening. There was another song that they did called Roxy, uh, which was all about um, absolutely beautiful Fender Rhodes part on the beginning. And that, that, like, this is what I could talk about this band for ages. I won't, but um, uh, I went to this gig at uh, the Astoria, and they played they played this this song Roxy. Um, and two two of the brothers, and one is Gaz, the singer, and and his older brother Rob uh, is part of the band as well, playing keyboards. And they both got on an actual Fender Rhodes. Um, uh, young people back in the day you had instruments which was sort of like apps but they were kind of big and made of metal and plastic uh maybe some wood um so they were on these Rhodes pianos uh on on the stage and they just played this version Sorry. of the song that was just the two the two fender Rhodes and them well the stage just it's a bit singing. like instagram i'm oh, sorry stage yeah so I, I want to check on a word you said before wood Wood. Okay, uh, it's a conditional verb and also something uh, <laughs> um, a material that comes from tr- trees, which were these big wooden giants. That uh, oh no, no I can't, can't use the word in the definition. No, I know trees. Trees are um, things that we need to save. Um, that you smoke blood. No, you, you you get really cross with other people who are not saving them. That's true. Yes, that's it. We've got, we've got to stop this, <laughs> especially after your little little recording episode you sent us the other day. Anyway, I was trying to describe an Sorry. emotional moment here. So there was they, their mum. Emotional just died moments will they have all day long. Now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, back in the day, I had an emotional moment at the end. <laughs> yeah go on okay anyway it's brilliant they played, so they, they played this song songs are like what used to be ringtones um and um <laughs> the, the actual album version of the song is really overblown and over over rockified and Sorry, it doesn't album? really <laughs> oh no <laughs> yeah. uh, um and and they just took the intro and they extended it for two minutes and they did uh they did a, some some of the singing over it and it was very very beautiful and i remember being Quite emotional. It's good to have Supergrass. We've not had any Supergrass on this. Um, what album is it on? Uh, the one that doesn't have a name. It's called. The, uh, sometimes called the X-Ray album. It's just called Supergrass. The third oh. one. It, it, quite downplayed in parts because it was a little bit like that song, kind of not properly fleshed out. But they did that a couple of times and it worked for them. Hmm. I think we can all agree that this next song is 
a triumph. And you should tell us all about it because it would have made my choice. And Jim had this band in. I think you'd probably have chosen this as well. Is it me? Um, yeah. Okay, so... Yeah, clearly this is one of the greatest guitarists of our time. Uh, and I think for for people who didn't grow up in the 60s or 70s or 80s, well, we did grow up in the 80s, but, you know, you know where they weren't listening to music in those eras, um, you know, this this is a guitarist that just sort of towered above everyone else, really, and is not very easy to sort of say, well, this guy's just ripping off the blues or ripping off, you know, some other 60s thing because he was devastatingly kind of original and just singular, Might like... <laughs> no. <laughs> Much as I admire his whittling. Um, Luke Scott. Stevie Rovon had been there before. Isn't he a drummer? Anyway. <laughs> you haven't heard his guitar stuff. <laughs> Oh, come on, Mike McCready's a great guitarist. Don't put him in there with Luke Goss. But no, I haven't put him in there. Um, <laughs> so, Johnny Greenwood uh, is a good guitarist. And Radiohead made some great albums based on guitars. And then they didn't for a while. And I think, so having made OK Computer, that was considered to be one of the best albums ever, they then went on to make two albums, which are also considered to be among the best albums ever. But at the time, some people were a little confused and it took them a while to get into this. So I remember sitting down, I know exactly where I was. I was in my parents' house, sitting at the computer, my dad's kind of computer in the study, and listening to the CD on headphones uh, and hearing this track for the first time on this uh, first opening song on this album and being like, they're back <laughs> and just being like this is a fucking triumph seedy <laughs> uh, crusty um, dude uh, anyway so this is the opening track off whatever it is and it's brilliant and in this song he does all of the modes of Johnny Greenwood that are good so he like goes from like one amazing Johnny Greenwood to another one to another one uh, and it, so it's lots of songs in one and he showcases all of his talents really well. So that's why I've chosen it. January 
it's a guitar is it theremin oh, fuck knows but it also gets dropped I think it's in a, so it must have been i wonder if it's yeah. could be th- there was a lot of theremin going around at that point is if it's not a guitar then it's a three-part chorally harmony thing that is also dropped in as if it's like a vinyl record being played so i don't know if it's been sampled then i love the call the two cool changes are obviously the one where it just goes loud which is which is lovely. Get, they're kind of like their back moment. I can imagine you having a yeah. back moment. But then there's that that the funky bit, the funky change, mm. kind of going back to the clean one. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's amazing. It's almost yeah, almost even better. And that's why it's just like who can? How does he come up with this shit? Like the man is a fucking genius. There are a number of excellent privately educated guitarists who could be playing these parts, not just not just him. So, no, no, it's not about playing the parts. Ed O'Brien's very good too. We don't know exactly what he's doing in this. Oh, I see what you mean. <laughs> but yeah, that's true. We don't know. Yeah, because it's not. Oh, I thought playing. you it's meant Crispy about... and Mills, or um... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, in, inside of the, the members of uh, Radiohead. And Tom might be doing something. It, it well, does make me think. Mm. Um, like we're quite blessed that I know I know Radiohead don't count as Britpop, but if you think about Bernard Butler, Graham Cox, and mm. Johnny Greenwood, there was quite a, a a wealth of talent amongst British rock at, in the nineties. There was, yeah. Bernard Butler's on a kind of long list for me. I think we I think we we played a Suede song in an early episode, and I commented on his guitar playing there. But but yeah, I mean, yeah, Metal Mickey. I mean, that's just, there's nothing new about it, but it no, no, it just amplifies what's been before. Glamming it up. But I mean, such is my dedication to that song that I worked out how to play it, <laughs> which to me, it's like a main, I mean, obviously I didn't play it very well. And I don't know how I did it, but it's just weird to me now because it seems like a strange dream. Like I can't imagine, I have no idea how to play that. But I sat down and tried to work it out because I was just like, how does he do that? <laughs> um, are we not going to play any bloody Mick Ronson? No, no. 
He's had a good it. Can we play the outro to Moon Age Daydream? No, you'll have to save it for another episode. You might have to just say, <gasps> oh, oh well, Jesus, this is a bass part on Moon Age Daydream. I'm going to say... Right, young young people, go listen to, go listen well, to Moon Age Daydream. The moon was a kind of orbital satellite that used to exist in the sky. There's also a certain other James that we've not played um, who... James Dean Bradfield? Uh, well, no, James... James I was thinking of James Hendrix, assuming that he was ever called James, um, because he's quite a good guitarist. Mm. Yeah, he was. It's all right, apparently. <laughs> we have played him once. Um, Purple Haze. I was thinking about where that with the dong dang dong dang, and that's that's really nice because it's. So... We should acknowledge. Yeah, and the John Frusciante solo in Danny California is is, is a Hendrix ripoff, basically. I mean, this is purely for the purposes of playing you things that might be a little bit niche because there's no way that we would play Danny California over Moon Age Daydream or Purple, Purple no. Haze. Or... Yeah, no, we're, we're trying to tread a balance between playing the really obvious stuff and also being way too niche because hmm. we are playing well-known songs and well-known bands. We're not, we're not deep musos, but we're, we're trying to occasionally choose something that's the less obvious choice. It's been going on too long to keep choosing Ziggy Stardust. But we also, I mean, we're also trying to not, like you say, it's a balance, Charlie. Like last last week on the Sheffield episode, <laughs> it did get quite obscure. Like we did you play go long picks? No, that's, no, that's, that's mainstream, that's, man. That's too mainstream. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> Who did you pick? Like Vizard? Uh, no. Mainstream, that's, that's too, that's pop, mate. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> don't forget we were with, uh, well, you know, Comsat Angels. Yeah, of course. Artery, you know, all of those guys. <laughs> nope. <laughs> um, is that our last song? It is. So we're going to move on to one of our own. And I'm not sure if this is the best execution of your guitar prowess, but it has a solo in it. And what I think I want to impress upon all listeners is the solo is quite hard. And well, to me, it sounds hard. You may have found it easy to play, but it sounds really complex and frenetic. What was absolutely brilliant about you and your playing, Tom, is you got this right every time at gigs. You nailed the solo. <laughs> I, doubt it. I think you did. I, I genuinely, because I thought, like. Sorry, put, um, uh, point of information. Can we just clarify for the listeners um, uh, of other podcasts that a solo is a bit like playing Call of Duty offline? It's when you do it on your own. <laughs> I was just getting praise from uh, Charlie there. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> That's fine. Um, I think that motif, the old, the old man motif, might be um, retired at the end of this episode, along with um, all references to the map. Um, this is Bumblebee. We'll talk afterwards. One day suddenly you tell me on a whim how you have been, how I can bury my nose in my selfish gene. Come on, come on. As we lie in the grass every moment that lasts You can see how I'm a machine How I can sharpen my teeth somewhere in between Come on, come on, come on Yes, I'm on your side But you can't bleed Oh, tell me that you need me Catch me as I land my future in your head Awakening in me So the fly 
the finest recording of that song, but I think there's something to recommend it. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think that's the final version or the album version. Mm. It's the one on Spotify. We need to sort that out. We need to sort that out. <laughs> We've had this conversation before, haven't we? This is weird. There's strange versions on Spotify. But anyway, it's, it's, it's the same recording. It's just a different mix than we usually yeah, I think um, I think we could have a bit more guitar in that mix. And also the, the BVs and how they relate to the main vocal. It's 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 not the mix that I know. It's not it's mm. not the mix I've grown up listening to. <laughs> but then you, then you start thinking fake news. Like have I have I misimagined it all? I know. Um, guess so we, need to, we need to get the right the right version on that. Unfortunately, I've only got Mental Notes two, and I don't even know if I've got that anymore. So for listeners who are fascinated by this, so we recorded an album called Mental Notes, and then uh, the person who produced it, Jack Reynolds, did various different mixes, and we have constant debates about which ones we should use. Anyway, um, because there are the other reason I noticed it was different is there was some stuff at the end that I like in the other version, where there's a little do 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 which you can't hear in that version. Anyway, but, you know, the little spiky little solo was fun to do, and I think... The one time we have a live recording of us playing live on stage, I got it right. <laughs> so that maybe gives the impression I always got it right. Where was that? Where was that? If you I go don't to know, YouTube and look up "Seeing Scarlet Good Advice," you'll, you'll oh, see a, you'll see um, footage from that gig. I don't think it actually shows you in real time playing the doo 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 doo. No, there is a video. There is, is a it? video. But but where, because good advice is yeah, good advice is that good advice video is cut 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 up bits. Uh, but we've somewhere we've watched it, like with Leighton, we watched it because I remember watching it and being like, oh, wow, I got it right. Brilliant. <laughs> okay. um, um, what what was 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 there any kind of um, sort of thematic thought about the, the solo? Because it does a very specific thing that none of your others do. I don't Are you think of anything other than that sounds cool? It's almost like a mosquito rather than a bumblebee. Isn't That's it? exactly what I was thinking. It reverses yeah. on itself. Was there any tell, tell us something? I I I, I wish I could. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I should listen at some point back to the four track demo or whatever I did in, uh, at home in my bedroom because I don't know if that solo was already on it. It might have been. But it's I, quick. I it's complex. It's precise. It's uh, arpeggiated, but it reverses on itself the whole time. I couldn't help thinking there must have been this is supposed to sound like kind of thing going on. Well, if it was, I don't remember. Wow. <laughs> uh, but no, I think it just came into my head. I was like, this is what I need to do. Um, Amazing. Uh, don't know. Um, yeah, but nice to have an airing of that song, which uh, might not have got onto the podcast for any other particular reason. Um, yeah, it's difficult to know what to relate it to. Um, I quite like the guitar line that follows the the vocal in the in the second verse. Yeah, I quite like that too. Um, Liverpool fans might like to know that it was recorded during the FA Cup final with West Ham when uh, Steven Gerrard scored one of the greatest, if not the greatest, FA Cup goals of all time. Where were you watching that? Was that in Watford? I was watching that in the living room while Goodis put the uh, solo down in Watford or Kings Langley or wherever we were. (laughs) And there was a guy out front mending a car. Who's living room? We had a power drill on one of them as well. It was some mate of Jack's. Oh, no, Justin Cowell. yeah. We mixed, we, ah, that's it. That's not the version mixed by Justin Cattle. And the Justin Cattle mix is a good one because he put a lot of work into it. We just mixed it there in Kings Langley, yeah. This is fascinating, isn't it, for our listeners? <laughs> <laughs> uh, another very famous uh, Liverpool moment uh, is when we were recording uh, Ugly Girl in Townhouse Studios. That was when they won the European Cup. 
You were really paying attention to our recording work. <laughs> <Okay>. Apparently, <laughs> somebody was talking with some boy band member at that point as well. Oh yeah, we played pool with with um, what are they called? McFly, Busted, McFly, McFly, McFly. Yeah. That that's those are our glory days, guys. Um, yeah. Well, anyway, Guitar Heroes, you're mine, Tom. You're mine. Thank and you. Until, Thank you very much, everybody. Uh, our next uh, episode, say goodnight to the good listeners. Good night, everybody. Thank you for bearing with us. We'll be back soon. Bonne nuit, plectrum plunderers.